Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to instruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. report from Harvard's Joint Center for Housing Studies found that over 650,000 people reported experiencing homelessness in America in January of 2023. That's up nearly 50 percent from 2015. Even if the numbers are staggering, hearing this probably isn't as big of a shock as you would think. Here in California, the housing crisis has long been an issue, with rents going higher and higher and not enough affordable options to go around. There's even been an exodus of people leaving the state, hoping to find solid ground on which to have a place to call home. So what's being done about this crisis? Where do we stand on a state level and on a local one? Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Mary Hughes. We're going to turn first to Chris Martin, Policy Director for Housing California, a statewide advocacy nonprofit focused on the production and preservation of affordable housing and addressing homelessness. Chris, thank you for joining me in this conversation on the housing crisis that uh, we're facing here in California. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. In your work, you've got a sort of broad look at what the state is facing when it comes to the housing crisis. But how did California get here? You know, why are things as dire as they are right now? Yeah, I would say um, there's quite a different few different factors that play into the housing crisis right now. But I think what we see is, uh, broadly speaking, is a mismatch between uh, rental costs and housing costs writ large and income. Uh, we see that divide between, uh, you know, the incomes that folks are are um, making and what it costs to live here in California, the, the skyrocketing rents that we're seeing um, statewide 
And um, and yet we haven't seen those kind of increases in people's um, wages to keep up with that. And so I think when you think about housing, it's it's largely um, a challenge of um, a math problem where where the rent is overly um, far more expensive than uh, than the, what wages are supplying for folks. I think when we think about housing in California, it's it's certainly a factor of cost of living here writ large where, you know, uh, we see that housing or that California has the second highest cost of living in the entire country. Um, and so that uh, plays into, you know, people's people's, you know, day to day lives and their costs that they take on um, and housing being the the largest one among them, um, you know, just continuing to perpetuate um, this this inequities and these affordability crisis here in California. Um, I, I would say on on top of the the cost side of this, you know, there's a whole host of challenges as it relates to producing new affordable housing and investing in new affordable housing, I think, both from a a siting uh, challenge where we see uh, NIMBYs and, and people who really don't want to um, see development happen in their neighborhood continue to push back against new affordable housing. Um, and, you know, that is particularly a challenge as it relates to supportive housing and, and housing for people that are unhoused and uh, suffering on the streets. And so, you know, when you when you have we combined a affordability crisis with a um, you know continuing challenge as it relates to siting and locating affordable housing, um, you know it gets to the the fever pitch we have today, where uh, it's kind of reached the the largest uh, crisis we've faced in California. As you said, a, a lot of angles that this crisis stems from, and a lot of areas where that work then needs to be done. But of course, a big part of that conversation is funding. Where is it coming from? How do we get more? On a state level, what are we seeing? What's being done and conversely, what's not being done to get more affordable housing? Well, I would say um, that the state of California has, you know, since the governor came into office, um, has really stepped up its game on the financing side. You know, one thing that I think that this governor has really championed is the state low-income housing tax credit program, which is um, a really successful program that our developers use to help develop new affordable low-income housing. Um, and the governor has championed that every single year he's been in office, a new allocation to that. Um, you know, California, while it has stepped up its game as it relates to investing in affordable housing, it's still woefully insufficient. Um, back, you know, we we saw the the dissolution of redevelopment in the state of California, which was a financing source that that local jurisdictions could really rely on, um, and it was consistent. It was year over year, and that could be utilized for um, affordable housing. And you know, since that's gone away. We're just grasping at straws to try and keep up with that investment level. Um, Housing California helped release the Roadmap Home 2030, which was an evidence-based policy agenda that is research-backed. Uh, and um, the, the research showed us that we need about $18 billion on an annual basis in housing investments to be able to meet the scale of the need. And we need to do that year over year. Um, and that includes investments in homelessness, 
and housing stability and keeping tenants in their homes. It includes resources for production of a new affordable housing and maintaining um, and operating affordable housing. And that that number has never been reached. We've never gotten to that level of investment at the state. Um, and so, you know, when we when we think about investment from a from a state level, we we just need to start thinking about scale if we're going to actually set expectations of meeting the need, uh, the scale of need, and and the the meeting this crisis head on. Um, I would highlight a couple of things. You know, our our uh, 2018 Housing California helped co-lead the. Uh, Proposition 1 and 2, which was uh, a bond for affordable and supportive housing, uh, about $3 billion. And those resources have dried up. We no longer um, have those resources as we were able to use them so quickly because the demand is so high for those resources. And now here we are in 2024, and we have used all those resources. And uh, you know, our developers are are at a point where we need to be thinking about those investments um, again. And, you know, the, the last um, notice of funding from the Department of Housing and Community Development at the state showed that we had about um, uh, an oversubscription of nearly 10 to 1 for resources in that, that notification of funding availability, which shows us that we have a host of uh, thousands of of developments and and uh, units that are ready to come online, and their only barrier to coming online is affordable housing funding. We don't have the financing. Um, those are things that have been cited. They're ready to go. They're in. They're they're shovel ready, so to say. And their only barrier is affordable housing financing. They need more funding from the state. And so you know, as we as we think about the future here, we really need to be focused on investment. Um, you know, we have a we have a bond that we're considering for the ballot this year, and Housing California is really strongly pushing for that bond. Um, it's a ten billion dollar bond from a Bay Area member, uh, Assemblywoman uh, Buffy Wicks, who is championing that and a real champion for us in the legislature and pushing that bond forward. And that's our number one priority this year is getting that bond on the ballot because we've exhausted all of our resources and we're at a point where we cannot let up. Uh, we need to be making sure that. We continue those investments and keep that pipeline moving forward um, in in the in the future years. We can't we can't afford to hold up. Uh, low income folks are are struggling throughout our state, and if we if we continue to underproduce and continue to underinvest, we're going to see uh, homelessness continue to rise in this state. Where do we as a state turn when when we are struggling with with finding the funding to get projects that are ready to go, you know, actually going? Where, where can we go beyond uh, a ballot? Yeah, um, it's been a challenge to to figure that out. I think some jurisdictions, you know, the Bay Area is considering its own bond um, and potentially even larger than $10 billion. Um, and so we've seen localities start to take this in um, and, and do it themselves, you know, in, in Los Angeles. There's been, um, you know, Measure H and H and Proposition HHH to kind of help the financing side, both on the services and production. You know, the federal government provides resources, but nowhere near the uh, the scale of need. Um, and so it's gotten to this point where we're trying to um, put things together that are, you know, um, not even close to the need and um, meeting that scale. And so, you know. Developers, localities are really grasping at straws at this point, trying to figure out um, where we can find this funding um, and coming from a whole host of different um, approaches. But at this at this stage, we really need the state to step up and be able to 
be the funding mechanism for for um, local jurisdictions and at least start to seed fund and get things moving so that um, we don't have this kind of like up and down year of budget cycling where um, we've got money, then we don't have money. Um, and so we really need to keep up the, um, you know, the momentum. So much work to do. Um, <laughs> it can feel a little daunting, um, but we do see things come together. You did mention Roadmap uh, Home 2030. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what that is and what solutions are in there, you know, beyond what we've already spoken of? Yeah, the, the Roadmap Home, as I mentioned, was really meant to answer the question of what it would take to end the housing and homelessness crisis. And we engaged um, dozens and dozens of stakeholders and researchers and um, spent a, a good deal of time over a year developing that um, document. It's a, a well over 50 policies that uh, if enacted would end the housing and homelessness crisis. So it's meant to be the answer to that question. Um, it includes you know, provisions around um, financing and rethinking our system of financing, including putting on the table some options for revenue and ways in which we could raise the money. It talks about the investments that we should be making in supportive housing and affordable housing and legal assistance for tenants and, and really looking at the broad range of interventions that we know we need. Um, we know we can't just invest in housing uh, production. We also have to invest in housing stability and keeping tenants in their existing affordable housing. And we also need to look at our system of services and resources for ending homelessness. We have to simultaneously invest in all of the areas. And really the biggest barrier that remains within the roadmap is looking at the financing system um, and, and achieving those, those investment levels that we know that we need. You know, one, one thing that I think here in 2024, it's important for us to look back on is the success that we demonstrated during the pandemic. Um, you know, when when we were faced with the challenge of this pandemic, um, you know, we saw investments, you know, really focused on those that are low income. You know, we saw um, resources put into tenant stability and keeping folks where they are. And that helped really stabilize hundreds of thousands of folks across the country and in California. Um, and, and we were able to shelter folks and prevent them from being exposed to COVID-19 during that pandemic through Project Room Key. We were able to establish a home key and develop new supportive housing at rapid pace. And so I think it's important for our state and our electeds to look back on the pandemic and realize that if we have the political will, we have the solutions to meet the crisis head on. Um, and the biggest challenge is getting beyond the things that have held us up in the past and and really thinking about um, you know how we can utilize what we know are the best practices to end this crisis um, and address it uh, at scale. Um, you know we're hopeful that this that we can learn from the lessons of the pandemic um, and really utilize what we know are the best practices to house people, keep them housed, um, and produce enough affordable housing for everyone in our state. In depth will return after a moment. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. 
Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Now we turn to Sarah Karlinski, Research Director at SPUR the San Francisco Bay Area Planning and Urban Research Association, a nonprofit public policy organization. Sarah, thank you so much for being a part of uh, this this housing conversation on In-Depth. My pleasure. There's a lot to get into when we are talking about the housing crisis statewide, but especially here in the Bay Area. I, I think it's one of the most important conversations that we're having and have been having um, from your perspective in the work that you do, you know, what seems to be getting in the way of creating more affordable and accessible housing in the Bay Area right now? I agree with you. This is an incredibly important conversation um, because it's about who gets to um, stay in the Bay Area and who gets to live here. First of all, um, there is not enough funding for um, affordable housing. And by affordable, I mean housing that is really affordable to uh, lower income households um, in our region and is uh, restricted for um, lower income households. It's sometimes called subsidized housing or deed restricted housing. And the, just the lack of, of funding to build that housing is, um, is really, uh, makes it really, really challenging to build, frankly, enough housing for those who, who need it at those income levels. The second challenge has to do with just a lack of zoning for more, what I'm calling more affordable, little a affordable housing types. So that's not necessarily subsidized housing. It's housing that the market might build, but because the units are are smaller, um, it's in an apartment structure, they might be just more affordable to the general person. And um, if we don't have enough zoning for um, apartments, um, they aren't going to get built. Um, and instead, what we're going to end up with is either no housing or just single family homes, which tend to be more expensive. So much relies on funding. Do you think enough is coming to Bay Area cities from the state or is a combined effort, state, local, you know, everything, the only way forward? Yeah, so great question. Um, funding comes from a variety of different sources for affordable housing. I actually used to develop affordable housing on the peninsula. I worked for an um, organization called Mid-Pen Housing, and it was really tricky to get all that funding. Um, 
uh, sometimes people refer to affordable housing financing as like a um, a wedding cake or a layer cake because you've got your you've got federal funding and then you've got state funding and then you've got local funding um, and affordable housing developers are running around trying to get all these different sources to work together on their on their layer cake so they can bake their cake and have it come out if you will. Um, and it's and it's very time consuming and it's very tricky. So in answer to your question, the answer is yes. The uh, housing funding should come from all levels of government. So the state really needs to be leading on this, um, but also uh, the region. Um, and then local governments sometimes um, have their own sources of funding and, and all of them are needed um, to pay for affordable housing. You mentioned the challenge of zoning. Uh, here in San Jose, just recently, the housing element that uh, the city, you know, had to send to the state was approved, and that has restored local control over zoning. It took a whole year to to get to this point, um, and and that can be a little demoralizing in a sense because with a crisis like this, speed is of the essence. One aspect that I know SPUR has looked at when it comes to making things faster, more efficient, is looking at housing governance. What is this and what role does it play in getting more affordable housing? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that question. So um, we at SPUR just released a new report actually on this topic of housing governance um, called Structured for Success reforming housing governance in California and the Bay Area. And um, the way that we define governance is we define it as the governmental systems or set of systems that regulate, um, impede, uh, finance, or incentivize housing. And there are many, many layers of government. Um, it's I guess we're talking a lot about layers today, but we've got, of course, the federal government, but then we've got state government, um, we've got regional government, and we've got local government. And in the Bay Area, the Bay Area is somewhat unique because um, instead of having sort of one big city um, with uh, sort of suburbs around it, we actually have many different cities. So we're um, what's called a polycentric city. We've got San Francisco, we've got San Jose, we've got Oakland, we've got other cities, and there's actually like 101 cities in the Bay Area. Um, so it gets like really complicated really fast because each city is kind of trying to figure out what it's doing um, about housing. And um, there's a lot of pressure on local governments not to um, allow housing to move forward because sometimes neighbors are not excited about new apartments or new neighbors or what have you. So there's a lot of pressure on each local government not to um, permit housing. And one thing that we write about in this report is how important it is for the state to play a really strong and powerful role. Um, what you were just talking about in terms of the housing elements and the and the blueprint for housing, that is a state framework um, for planning for housing that is actually very strong, where the state comes up with um, a target for housing and then the region then distributes that target and there are incentives for um, local governments to conform with the plan and there are um, sticks if they don't. 
And there's very little else in um, basically the state planning framework that functions like that. So in our report, we talk about kind of strengthening these kinds of systems. And the other thing we talk about is um, there are various agencies at the state level. And the one that has housing in it also has business and consumer services in it. So it has underneath that agency, it's not just housing, it's things like um, cannab cannabis regulation. And um, uh, I think there's like uh, horse racing and alcoholic beverages. So the secretary of that agency actually has quite a lot to deal with, not just housing. And we talk about um, the fact that there's really a need to have an agency that is just housing, highly focused on housing, and then explaining um, to the entire government what the trade-offs are um, of, of different various regulations and how they impact housing production. So that can be taken into account when the state is making recommendations. So what are we seeing that's working in the Bay Area when it comes to solving the housing crisis? One, I think that um, I have heard uh, state leaders and electeds and others talking about housing differently. Feels like in the past, I want to say five or seven years, the conversation around housing has really changed. So when I started in this field, the conversation was much more this conversation of, oh, we don't want more housing in our community or like, oh, we don't want, we definitely don't want low-income housing in our community. Um, it was very sort of like negative, um, a lot more about kind of like protection of what is. And um, through the, the work of uh, many advocates and activists over the years, the conversation has just changed to know this is a crisis and we're all responsible for addressing it. And um, we've got many local elected leaders who are real champions of, of housing and, and the Bay Area should be very proud of that. So that's one massive change that I've seen. Um, another change is what you start, started talking about with these housing plans, the housing elements. Um, the, the, they're a lot stronger than they used to be. Um, slowly uh, over time, um, those plans have been, the requirements for those plans have been strengthened at the state level. And now they really have teeth and the cities really have to do them. And the state is really looking at, at what the cities are doing. Um, and that makes a big difference. And then a third thing that I would point to as a bright spot is that there's a lot more acceptance of um, what I call kind of smaller housing types or some refer to as missing middle housing types. Um, some might uh, talk about like um, ADUs, accessory dwelling units or granny flats. Um, again, when I started off, there was a big concern about, oh, if you allow like a little unit in somebody's backyard, where's everybody going to park and we can't possibly do this. And now the, there's been a whole bunch of state legislation um, that has passed that has made it possible to build these smaller units and they're cropping up all over the state. Um, and they're really, really helpful um, to uh, add to the housing stock and create more affordable housing options. Realistically, especially here on a, on a local level here in the Bay Area, you know, what more can those governments and the surrounding communities do when it comes to expediting 
you know, getting more housing or getting more solutions uh, to get people into homes? Yeah, great question. So there's a lot. There's a lot that local governments can do. So um, the first one is, of course, um, you know, get good, strong housing plans in place. These housing elements that we've been talking about, um, you know, make sure that, um, if you know, if you're a local jurisdiction that you're adopting your housing element and that it conforms to state law. Once that plan has been adopted, there's still zoning that needs to happen. So each city is going to need to um, zone that, you know, th those are like the rules and regulations for what can get built on land um, and make sure there's zoning um, to conform with that plan and that the zoning is realistic and buildable. Like, you know, some jurisdictions might say, oh, yeah, we're we're zoning um, for apartments, but then the setbacks are too deep or, you know, they're requiring um, things that just make it much harder to build. Um, if, the, if the city is thinking about how to make sure that the zoning is buildable, that's great. I think another thing that can happen is um, these missing middle housing types that we've been talking about. Local governments can support missing middle housing. They can think about, hey, it would be really nice to have, you know, duplexes, fourplexes, sixplexes um, in our communities. Like, how do we make that happen? How do we encourage that? Um, cities can build cultures that are friendly to housing. Um, instead of talking about housing in a fearful way, they can talk about it in a positive way. Um, one thing in my own community that the planners did is um, when, uh, when they got their housing allocation through the housing element process, they actually made banners and like put them up all over town saying, hey, we're going to plan for 587 new uh, homes. I think that really sets the tone for um, how the type of conversation we're going to have about housing. You can hear in-depth episodes on the Odyssey app. Download the app on your smartphone and favorite KCBS radio. Thanks for listening for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Mary Hughes. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.